Hey everybody, welcome to We've Got the Beat. In this episode, it's been a while since we've had a special guest, but uh, we have John on the other side. Hello, hello. John and I usually host uh, different stuff for the podcast. Uh, Mindy and I usually do We Got the Beat, but we're kind of behind right now. We both took a break. So uh, this episode, we discuss seeing the 30th anniversary 35th, 35th anniversary of Out of Bounds. We usually try to stick to anniversaries. And then if we don't have another movie from the same year, we try to combine something a little similar. Um, Out of Bounds is kind of hard to find a good pairing. And the only way I could do that was finding another ex-John Hughes nerd who kind of did an action, but not really. I, don't, I think I made a mistake. But did you like the movies? <laughs> okay, well, I'll say this. Uh, Hiding Out was, of the two films, the better one. Uh, both of these are kind of like those, uh, you're, you're at home, it's a weekend, uh, nothing, you can't really find anything good on TV during, you know, midday. You flip over to like HBO or Showtime or something, and you got one of these things in here and it's, you just kind of go, well, it's background noise. And that's, that's kind of what, what these films are. It's like, you I, it's hard. It's hard to say because, like, Out of Bounds, especially, really started. I started drifting away on that. Really, movie this is the that's the one that I love. I, I saw. To be fair, I saw this as a child, and I was uh, really caught up into it. And I still think it's pretty entertaining. But as I get older, I realize the biggest problem here is that Anthony Michael Hall doesn't want to be Anthony Michael Hall. I, he was. Oh, he doesn't even want to act. He's he's the most wooden thing here. Like. Uh, Jenny Wright's fine. I yeah. think she's, you know, well, she, Jeff, she's entertaining. I, I think he's trying to do the exact opposite of everything that's natural to him. Like, he needs to be a tough guy, so he needs to be stone-faced. He's like a little Charles Bronson. And, and like it, it, this is the first time it's ever bothered me, though. And I just realized, oh, he's really trying to gut everything that we know about his nerd personality from his previous films. Uh, and it doesn't really work. But I also know that he was also shooting Saturday Night Live at the same time as it. So he might have just been exhausted. Well, it's like, there's, there's things in this that I, that I do kind of, in, I like. Like, I think the soundtrack is pretty killer. Oh, yeah, that's and, absolutely fantastic. Including to the point where you actually have Susie and the Banshees actually performing in the film. Although, I don't think anyone bothered to tell Susie to not mug the camera. Like, she thinks it is a music video. And it's a movie, so she's just staring straight down the lens. And, and there's there's moments that it makes sense, but there are other ones where it's the camera's off to the side. She should be out performing to the audience, and she's instead looking over at the camera, staring down the camera, and it's really annoying. So yeah. I'm like, well, this takes me out of the film. Well, I, think, I mean, I think the biggest weakness of this is that Richard Tuggle is the director, a guy who only ever directed two movies. He did flat. Not Flashpoint, um, Tightrope with Clint Eastwood and uh, this. And apparently he didn't really even direct Tightrope. Uh, it was one of these well, things where Clint Eastwood fired the original director and then he couldn't hire himself because of union rules. And so they had to find anybody. And so they grabbed this guy who was competent, but just, you know, Clint Eastwood basically directed that movie and that movie made some money, so he got out of bounds. And I'm not sure he's up to snuff for it. Oh, no. I mean, come on. There's a moment. There's that little motorcycle chase. And there's a few of those shots where it's out of focus. And it's not, not that not like the motorcycle goes from out of focus into focus. It's no. The shot is out of focus. <laughs> he is. I'm sitting there going, 
what the hell's going on here? Who, who, who said, well, this is a good, you know, this is good enough. Let's roll with it. Did they not have additional takes? Did you not, you know, see that and go, well, no, at this time, it's no one's going to ever watch this movie other than theatrical release, so... You know, <laughs> exactly. no, one, no one gave a shit. Yeah, I still sure remember no the video store I rented this at. I watched it a bunch when I was a kid, and uh, it's one of the been of those holdouts where it just for some reason wouldn't come to DVD, and they did one of those, you know, those manufacture on demand DVDs, um, and then it's never been on Blu-ray. I just got it on digital, uh, which is what you watched as well. Um, yeah. it didn't really make much money. Uh, it kind of broke even, what you know, cost what it made, whatever, and. Uh, in my head, I don't want to shit on this movie because I still think it's crazy entertaining. I think it moves like a fucking freight train. And Jeff Cober is a really great villain. Jenny Wright's fantastic. Um, but I was at a convention a few years ago for the Weird Science reunion, and I got up there and said to Anthony Michael Hall, Out of Bounds is fucking rad, and we should have a really good release of it. And then I realized I was surrounded by families, and I felt like an asshole, and I sat down. <laughs> <laughs> The, uh, but no, I still think it has some good action sequences, but you're right. It's just like, I feel like it was shot in a hurry. Maybe maybe this is another situation where the director was fired and Richard Tuggle was brought in to quickly do this. But at the same time, he had to shoot fast because, like I said, Anthony Michael Hall was on SNL at the same exact time. And it must be yeah, so you're, only you're limited. Yeah. yeah, limited to what he, what he could do. And what's the thing is, there's also a thing where he... As much as he seems to want to shed that dork persona, he never really does. Yeah. To me, and it's just like I, I when when you get to the club fight, I'm just sitting there going, "Bullshit! This dork ain't fucking Jason Bourne." Yeah. <laughs> he he cannot because all of a sudden he now has this this combat experience that he's at no point at you know, has been referenced, all of a sudden he could just kick the crap out of all these guys. It's like, no. Yeah. Well, he's a farm kid, and that's supposed to sell you that he's tough, but I've never once, I grew up in a farm town, I've never seen a skinny farm guy. They're all really beefy because they got to handle this huge equipment and they got to haul shit around. And I think that's another reason why it's not that believable. He really did shake the nerd image, though, for a long time because... Uh, we have that run of John Hughes movies, then he does this, um, Johnny Be Good, and then he's the villain in Edward Scissorhands, and then after that his career just kind of bounced around and like directed video and, and uh, cable stuff. But now, he's huge. He, I don't know if he put on the weight for Halloween, or he just has that weight now, because he looks like he swallowed a bowling ball. He looks like a meathead. <laughs> and it's, it's hard. I would, if you didn't know him as a child, and you were to show someone, like, Halloween, or how that episode of Community where he's the bully with a mustache, and then show him weird science, people be like, what? <laughs> well, I guess that it's kind of the same way that how people would see Ben Affleck as the leading man and stuff, and then you go to like the first couple of roles where he's just the jock douchebag. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's nev never really any any kind of charisma that he's shown in, in some of the films that he's been in, so it's like you would kind of go like, how did this guy? How did anyone let him direct movies? Look at that! Look at that dumb, you know, that dumb meathead in uh, in Ball Rats or yeah, yeah. went before it. It's uh, Jenny Wright, though. It really is the scene stealer here. She has so much charisma and energy. She's really fun, but she's also like she wants to be involved in the 
the problem, but not like one of those dumbass ways where, you know, you're like, why are you here? She is, I, I, I just really enjoyed her in this, and uh, she was only in a handful of movies. This, Near Dark, um, I, Madman, no, no, I don't know if she's an I, Madman, but I know the last thing she did was like four years later with Young Guns 2, and then that's it, and uh, she's sorely missed. Yeah, it's a shame. Yeah, she's, I, I think she's the best part of the film. She's fun, and, you know, it's like, not not to be shallow or anything, but yeah, she's very cute. Yeah, um, and Jeff Cobar, I it's kind of sad that he only ever plays villain roles um, because of the way he looks. But uh, I was friends with him with Facebook on Facebook for a while, and he's a big Buddhist and very peaceful acting teacher and stuff like that. So he's like the complete opposite of the personalities that you see him in all the movies. But if you've seen Tank Girl, that's his best performance. Him as that doofus, lovable Rue mutant guy. <laughs> it's so much fun. <laughs> Uh, Tank Girl sorely underappreciated, but yes, um, uh, very much so. Besides the fact that that one sequence is out of uh, uh, out of focus, but did you think that the action was pretty good? Uh, not too much. I, I like I said, th I started drifting after a while. Uh, and a I really thought you were gonna like this one. I I would say I do think they might have stole the the THX uh, sound system. I think stole something from this film's score because it's during that climax where he's about to get shot. And the music is swelling, and I swear to God, it's that THX uh, swell. <laughs> but right. then again, this, this is a film that has a widely inappropriate score. Like, it starts off with, like, the most, like, hardcore, pulse-pounding, intimidating thing. And I'm sitting there just going, I doubt this movie's going to match this pulse. <laughs> so Anthony Michael Hall turned down Pretty in Pink. Uh, burned his bridges with John Hughes, which uh, I'm going to tell you right now. Everybody praises John Hughes, but there's something up with him because both Molly Ringwald and uh, Anthony Michael Hall decided they didn't want to do like hit just the next thing they offered. It's not like they said they would never work with him again. They just didn't take the next thing that was offered, and he burned them out of his life. That's kind of fucking strange. Uh, but he turned down Pretty in Pink. Uh, he was offered Ducky. Uh, but John Cryer ended up getting the role, became famous for... Well, he's still famous, but he got a bunch of movies immediately after Pretty in Pink, and all four of them tanked. And uh, I, I think this might be the best. I'm, I'm always kind of flip-flopping. Dudes is a really good idea, but I, it never really... I never really get what I want out of it, and we're never going to speak of Superman 4, I decided, at <laughs> this moment. And Morgan Stewart's um, coming home, I cannot remember. But... um. What did you think of Heidi Out? Heidi Out, I, I did actually enjoy a bit more. Although I think it's, it definitely has a lot of weirdness in it. Like, uh, you know, the plot plot progression where this, you know, almost what thirty year old guy. Yeah, is, I think he's twenty seven. He brings it up at one point, I think. Yeah, he's like 27, 29, something like that. And he's in high school, and he starts dating a high schooler, and it's really really off-puttingly weird yeah he throughout. never really seems to have a huge regret or feel bad about it and spoilers well, he does he does, yeah, he he does just make up he does go and break up with her and you know it's like he when he's making this decision to he's just gonna drop out of high school because i mean he's hiding there to uh to get away from uh god what was it not drug dealers. What was it? Was, it? Was, oh, it, was it was mobsters. It was the mobsters. Yeah, yeah embezzling fake uh, bonds or whatever junk bonds, which was a really big deal in '87. Um, 
and yeah, they want to assassinate all the people that are involved in this, and so he goes on the lamb, and he has a very youthful face, and uh, a really ridiculously fake beard. <laughs> that oh yeah, is His, that that. Although I will say, it, as fake as it was, it it did it did age him up nice. Yeah. Uh, in in for those scenes, I mean, it's not like it's not necessarily like a Jason Manzuka's beard. Yeah. But. Uh, but it is on that level. The uh, the choice that he makes with the hairdo, I still don't understand. Did he just not have enough bleach? Is that it? Or did he not know what he was doing? Or did he think that well, was a hip look? Well, yeah, that, that was definitely like a hip look because he was still kind of doing the he was doing a bit new wave, new romantic type. Uh, okay. Type thing. Even though it's '87 when this comes out, uh, it definitely was still he was still kind of trying to. They're trying to hit that sort of visual aesthetic. Okay. So. Yeah, it's uh, this is a wave of going back to high school undercover kind of thing because there's this. 21 Jump Street launches the, that summer. Uh, there's a movie called Undercover with Jennifer Jason Lee, which I'm sure nobody's ever heard of. It's good. Um, then there was Plain Clothes the next year with Arliss Howard, where he's uh, an undercover cop trying to uh, solve a murder. And just like this whole wave of that going on at that time, and none of it was successful except, of course, 20 Jump Street. And this is the more comedic one. There is danger, and I, I don't think the, the final action sequence is very good. I think it's awkward and kind of weird. Um, I think the shootout, though, in the the restaurant was really good. Yeah. I don't yeah. know why it, one, this, one works and one, the other one doesn't. This one, it, it, well, honestly, I'll say competition. Uh, being a competent director probably helps. <laughs> and again, I don't know necessarily like that what we have for the first film is, you know, hearsay at best for yeah. for things on that. But it definitely the guy who directed this is, you know, he's a music video director. He did Michael Jackson's Beat It. He did the Pat Benatar Loves the Battlefield. Uh, the Michael Jackson Pepsi New Generation commercial. So it's like he's he can shoot he knows how to shoot stuff and co put together co you know coherent storylines even in a uh, in a condensed format so yeah. do you think it's just the set piece because the restaurant's very claustrophobic and it's kinetic because everybody's running um, and he's got the shotgun but in this one it's long it's a huge room and he's got that rifle what, what surprises me though is he had no backup weapon he got when he lost the rifle he didn't have a pistol or at least a blade on him that was I thought strange well, no, because you need to have uh, our hero be able to get away, or in the climax, uh, chase after one of the yeah. one of the assassins. <laughs> and then he just falls. <laughs> like I was afraid of heights. Um, but I think I think what it does do right is it really plays well to John Cryer's strengths, and he bends into it. Whereas, you know, like I said, Anthony Michael Hall was shying away from his strengths, and that's why he seems so stiff. And he's when when Michael, Anthony Michael Hall tries to be cool, it doesn't work. Remember when the cop asked him to take his shades off and so he could see his face, whatever, and he's like, what, man? What? Yeah. What, what do you... And he takes it off, kind of looks to the side, looks at him, and was like, yeah, I'm trying to be James Dean, what? <laughs> yeah, and this this one, he's he's still a nerd, you know, but he's definitely, like, the a cooler nerd. Yeah. And they, so they, you kind of... The whole thing about him running for uh, uh, class president but not wanting to... But everybody's kind of like just forcing it. I thought that was an interesting subplot because it brings uh, a lot of the other characters that their uh, the tension between them. I thought it was good. I'll be honest, that was where the movie was losing me. 
throughout it. Uh, like, I really didn't care. Oh, okay. <laughs> although, I, although I did find it hilarious that uh, there's an interesting parallel to uh, our recent day and age with that conservative teacher, the one who wanted oh, to, yeah. it was all about the revisionist history about Nixon, and then was just going to go and fix the uh, election so the uh, so that Cryer wouldn't win. Yeah. Well, oh, I really appreciated that he went and said, "Hey, I'm not the real winner. This is bullshit," and and, and, yeah. and admitted to it. I thought that was a good thing because usually in these movies, they're the big bullies, and there is some tension between the two because they're both vying for the same girl. But he never goes in that full-on cliche '80s. You know, I challenge you to ski down the mountain, man. <laughs> well, that's well, that's just it. That's where the film does a good job of delaying, of uh, circumventing those expectations because you get, uh, like I said, that moment where you're saying like John Cryer is going to break up with them, uh, with the girlfriend stuff is it's in a com- he's mentioning it's in a confrontation with with the jock dude, and you know, and he's sitting there like. You know, he's like, "What have you told? What'd she tell you about me?" You know, like, like he's gonna want to get into a fight. He's like, Cryer's like, "Nothing. You're a good guy." You know, it's like, you know, it's like, I need to drop. I can't do all this stuff. Yeah. Uh, and it's you get like it's kind of you see that he wins this guy over. We get an early performance by Keith Coogan, who would break out, I think, a couple months later with Adventures of Babysitting, and, and really like a actor. I, I, I kind of miss seeing him on the screen. It's been a long time since he really got a lot of work. Yeah, it, this one is it. This one I think is the definitely the better of the two. Everybody acts like they're actual human beings. Uh, and as much as I'm, like I said, the high school plot, I, I, I really think they're it, that could have used a second pass. But uh, you know, hey, you're making a uh, a little adventure comedy thing. Yeah. So this is from uh, De Laurentiis's company, and he only lasted I think two or three years. I mean, every single last thing bombed, and most people just remember it for being the studio for uh, um, Blue Velvet and Manhunter. But they did a lot of movies, and this is one of them that just faded away. Well, I think if I remember right, De Laurentiis uh, is also in Evil Dead too. Uh, you're okay. You're right. Yes, that was that weird one where he couldn't release it under his name because contractually he could, he could only release R-rated movies and not an NC-17 or unrated. I guess NC-17 had existing, so they had to develop a shell company called Rosebud, I think. Yeah, yes, Rosebud, and then it, it returns. It did it did become uh, under dealer Rentises for Army of Darkness. Yeah, and then they went out of business soon after those two movies came out, and uh, I think they ended up selling Bill and Ted to Orion, and that was the end of them. But, well, Bill and Ted would have saved them. Yeah, would have. Uh, well, maybe because I never knew if they had enough money to release these. That's the thing. A lot of these companies they make uh, like their last few movies get sold to other studios, and be like, wow, if they had been, with... but like Punisher was with New World, but. New World was on the verge of bankruptcy, and whoever they sold it to just sent it straight to video. And the same thing for um, uh, Warlock. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. Um, I think Heather's is the last movie that New World put out, but a lot of independent companies died, and they had this niche, though, that they were trying to fill that the big studios weren't doing. And we really don't have that now because the smaller titles go to streaming. Yeah, well, hell, everything's going to streaming. Yeah, I just Even the big titles. I just wish they were weirder. You know, more unique instead of like, well, they made this. Let's make a lower budget version of this. Well, lately they've been huge budgets. That Red Notice is huge. Yeah, that's. I think that is the the problem with movies these days. Let's get on a soapbox. Arr, back in my day. Well, it, I, I I understand why filmmaking is the way it is now, and the thing is, like, it is a shame that there are no none of these more mid tier adult 
ish movies, you know, made, you know, just like shit. The only one that came to my mind immediately, and I, I'm sorry, this is not the greatest film, but like Shakespeare in Love, you know, something that's, it's not super high budget or high concept or necessarily just, you know, the low budget indie stuff that we get in a lot of streaming cases now. Mm-hmm. Just rules kind of mid tier, a goodwill hunting, you know, something that is, you know, you can sit down and be entertained by. And it didn't cost anybody an arm and a leg to make one way or the other. And word of mouth and take them around. I just, yeah, I, a lot of these movies, though, like the studios just didn't have enough money. They weren't drive-in material. I don't know what they were. But yeah, I think I think Morgan's, not Morgan, sorry, uh, Hiding Out is the more fun one. But if you're looking for a good thrill, I would say Out of Bounds. I'm sorry you didn't like it. I thought you might dig it. But uh, at least you liked the sucker. Well, it definitely, it's one of those things where, as I said, it's a... It's a Saturday film where there's nothing on. Okay, and no, oh, it's the only thing playing, sort of thing. It's like, okay, well, I could watch. Uh, oh, they have Conan. They have Demolition Man. They have. It's like like one of those things where it's like, I could go stare into the sun, or I could watch this. <laughs> the net uh... is on. It's like, yeah, the net is on. Net or Speed 2? Hmm. Oh, I know. I'll watch the net. Well, fuck, I don't know now. I haven't seen the net forever. How are we still talking about this? I'm sorry, everybody. Let's wrap this up. (laughs) John, thank you for sitting in on this episode. And uh, we'll be back with our normally scheduled stuff. Uh, What what are we doing next? I can't remember. Uh, Oh, our our albums, right? You with the albums, and we still have a couple of movies to watch for 1990 that I yeah. need to watch. Yeah, I kind of want to wrap up the 80s. I really do. I don't want anything really left as part of that 80s discussion. Um, thank you very much. Where can we find you on the interwebs? I am on both Twitter and Twitch under the name Musician. M-Y-U-Z-I-S-H-I-O-N. All right, you can find all our episodes under Hit Rewind Podcast, and that's it, everybody. Have a good night. Later.